Well, we've been in the book of Daniel looking at some pretty incredible things. And today we have something I think that's just a little bit different tucked right here in the middle of chapter 9. If you haven't been with us, the first six uh, chapters in Daniel are telling all these incredible stories of the exile and how God has his hand on them and how he watches over them as they don't want to eat the king's food and then as the king has a vision and only Daniel can tell it and we have the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace and their rescue and Daniel in the lion's den and his rescue. So we see all these incredible things about God interacting and doing some pretty unreal things, some miracles that helps uh, his people and it glorifies his name. And then we get to chapter 7 and in chapter 7 and chapter 8, it kind of flips around because all of a sudden in the first part of the book you had Daniel able to tell these visions that nobody else knew uh, the interpretation of, and Daniel was able to interpret them. And now, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel starts getting these visions, and he doesn't know what's going on. And an angel of the Lord has to tell him what's going on. And, and really, what we see here is God's telling Daniel about things that are going to be happening in the future, about these kingdoms that are going to be rising up, and about, honestly, some of the horrible things that are going to be happening to God's people. And you would think, well, that's kind of miserable because here Daniel is, he's already in exile and he's been there because God's judging and working through the people of Israel. And now he's telling Daniel about these other kingdoms that are going to rise up. And then, I mean, what do you, what do we do with that? And so what we've looked at in this whole thing, this book and the big picture of it, it's about God's sovereignty. And that's that, you know, big word that just means that God's in control. And here's the truth. When I say that God's in control, there's times that we hear that and we go, that's awesome, God's in control. And there's some of us that hear that and go, I don't like the fact that God's in control. Because if we're honest with ourselves, there's times where we go, I think I would have a better decision or a different decision or I would do things a different way. And if, if I'm looking at this as Daniel, someone who's seen God do these incredible things, and now all of a sudden I'm getting this picture at the end of my life about things that are going to continue to happen that are going to be difficult for God's people, I'm probably thinking to myself, what in the world are we going to do here? How is this going to end? What's going on? I may be frustrated with God. I may be confused about things. I may not even know how to talk to God, how to interact with God, or how to deal with things in life. And then I thought, well, that kind of sounds like me today. I mean, there's just times when I look at stuff that's going on in the world and go, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. And I'll just be honest with you. There's times that I talk to God and go, um, hey, don't you think there'd be a different way you could do these things? Don't you think that there's a better plan for this? Don't you see that uh, all these things are happening and this really isn't any good? But yet I have to be reminded that God's always in control and he's working something. And, and I have to put my trust in him. And no matter what season that I'm walking through in life, whether it's one of those awesome seasons that I love or whether it's one of those difficult seasons that I hope is short in my life, I have to trust God in it. And so what we get in chapter 9, I think, is something that's pretty amazing. We actually get a prayer from Daniel. And we get Daniel, who's actually talking to God. Beforehand, we've had all these stories and we've had these visions. But now we hear Daniel in the words of his mouth to God. And, and I want us to look at this prayer today because I think sometimes when we think about prayer, it, it brings about a lot of thoughts, maybe a lot of different reactions to different People, sometimes people go, I don't even know what the point of prayer is. I mean, I feel like I, I do it and nothing happens or, or you know, I, I don't know if I'm doing it right or how I'm getting this 
you know, and am I saying the right words in the right place in the right way? Am I holding my hand right? Am I doing this right? You know, am I standing in the right place to do this? We, we make it out to be all these things. And we hear all kinds of things from Scripture from we should pray continually, which means we're praying all the time. Well, I walk around with my head bowed, my eyes closed. I mean, what, what do I do here? But we get this picture here in Daniel, I think, that helps us understand and model for us prayer and prayer that can make a difference for us. And so I want to read in Daniel chapter 9. I want to read all the prayer. It's a little long, but you can follow along with me in Daniel 9, starting in verse 4. And what I want you to do is I want you to kind of look at how Daniel is praying. And, and remember, if you, if you understand who he is, who Daniel is and all the things that he's done and, and, and the great way that God has used him and the miracles that he's seen and the way that he's spoken God's truth to other people. And then look at that in light of how he prays here. He says, starting in verse 4, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Ah, Lord, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. I'm going to read that again. The great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. We have sinned done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far in all the countries where you've banished them because of the disloyalty they've shown toward you. Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our fathers because we've sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. I'm going to pause for a second. If you're not catching this, what Daniel's saying, first of all, is I'm beginning to realize, God, that you are gracious and compassionate and you are right and, and we've been wrong about some things and we continue to be wrong and point the finger at you and yet you continue to be gracious and loving to us. That's kind of where Daniel is so far in this. And in verse 11, he says, All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised Cursed, written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we've sinned against him. He's carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we've not sought the favor of our Lord God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all he's done, but we've not yet obeyed him. If you didn't catch that, that means that, God, you said you were going to do this if we did these things. We did these things, and you're just keeping your word, so you are right. You are righteous. In verse 15, he says, Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we've sinned and we've acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain, 
For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all those around us. Therefore, our God, hear the prayer and petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we're not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. You see there at the end, he says, God, we're crying out to you, not because we've stacked up all these good deeds that we're going, God, look at this now, look at this, will you bless us now? He's saying, man, I still remember that, God, there's nothing that we can do that's going to impress you. So we're just asking you to act based on your name, on your abundant love, and on your compassion. So this is a pretty incredible prayer. Because the first thing that I would tell you is my impression of Daniel is that he could be the type of guy who stands and goes, okay, God, I got something to talk to you about because all these people are really bad. And yet, God, you got me living with all these people, and they're messed up, God. And I'm just here to tell you that all these people are, you see where I'm going? But Daniel didn't do that. Daniel stood up and he said, hey, God, we realize that we've got a problem and we've sinned and, and we've not listened to you. And, and you're just saying, you wrote it a long time ago that if the people of Israel did these things, that this was going to be the consequence. And lo and behold, God, these are the consequences and we're living them out. And now, God, you've just given me visions about things that are going to continue to happen. And so I trust that these things are going to continue to happen. But now I'm coming before you not based on the things that I've done but based on who you are and asking God that you would just speak and do something different and that you would act and that you would intervene in this so that we could hear you and that we could see you and that we could follow you. This is a prayer that makes a difference. This is a prayer that's, that's going to help things out because here's the bottom line about prayer. If you don't hear anything else I say today, if you're curious about prayer, hear this because this, I think, will help you give perspective. Prayer is not about us trying to convince God to do something for us. Prayer is about us aligning our heart to the will of God. That, that's the bottom line. Prayer is about us confessing that God is God and I am not, and now I'm going to line myself up to your word and to your will. It's not about us going, God, look, man, I did this thing right. I got this right. Look at all these things that I've done. I've stopped doing this. I've started doing this, and I did one of those, and I was nice to this person. I did. Now, you look, hey, God, can I have a cookie now? I mean, that, that's not... How prayer works. Prayer is us saying, okay, God, I'm going to pause here in the midst of all the things that are going on in my life and in this world, and I'm going to realize that you're God and I'm not, and I need to readjust myself to get in line with what you're doing. And that's what Daniel's doing. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's saying, God, I'm beginning to see some things here, and I just want to line myself up with you. In the book of Proverbs, it tells us that the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. The Lord's far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. That means those who are trying to pursue God, God will listen to those. And James tells us this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in effect. I love the fact that James says, confess your sins. He doesn't say pray to God because that's what we should all do. He says, look, 
You need to understand that every time we come before God, we're going to realize that there's not enough right things in the world that we can do to stack up to impress God. We just have to come before God and get real and go, okay, God, here's where I need some help. Here's where I need to understand things. Here's the things that I have done. And I love this about Daniel. He just puts himself right in there with everybody else. Look at what we have done. We have sinned. We've done wrong. We acted wickedly. It's on us. He didn't point the finger at someone casting blame. Our culture loves to do that right now. Amen? It's never our fault. It's always somebody else's fault. I'm just a victim of circumstance. Poor me. Can we all feel sorry for me for a minute? Thank you so much for that. I feel so much better now. I mean, that's not how we should live life. We, we should live going, okay, God, what am I supposed to do in the midst of this? So let's look at praying and making a difference. Let's take some of the things from Daniel's prayer and see if we can't find some things that would help us. So the first way that we can pray to make a difference is we need to learn to pray according to God's word. Pray according to God's word. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and state the obvious. If I don't know God's word, I can't pray according to God's word. And that's not meant to make you feel guilty. That's meant to motivate you to say, if you don't know it, that's okay. Get to know it. And the more that you get to know God's word, the easier it will become for you to understand what God is doing and how he's leading and where he is in control and how you can pray according to his word. And your prayers will stop being ineffective because when you start praying according to God's word, you'll begin to see things happen because God's word is always true. God's word is always right and it will always come to fruition. And so when I learned to say, my prayer is not about me begging God for things. My prayer is about me getting in line with his word. God's going to answer that. It's going to make a difference. Now, I didn't read this, but earlier in that chapter, Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, look at what it says. It says, in the, year of, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70 now, what is he saying? He's saying, look, I saw all these bad things happening to my people and all this stuff that was going on. And I'm trying to piece this together about where is God in all this and how are we going to deal with this? And so he sought the word of the Lord and he said, lo and behold, I saw in the word of the Lord that exactly what I'm living and where I'm going through was told to the prophet Jeremiah, just like you're telling me things for other people's future. God, you said that this is going to happen for 70 years. All of a sudden, Daniel has understanding. I know what's going on. I know where we are. I know why we're here. I can read and figure out how this happened. Now everything becomes clear. That's why he begins to say, whoa, 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 we've sinned. We went away from you. It's our bad. You said you were going to do this. You're just a God who is a God of your word. And so you continue to act just like you said you would. That's the importance of God's word for us we need to align our lives to God's word because God's word will bring us life. Not because God wants to smack us on the hand if we don't. And not because God's trying to take something away from you. It's because God's trying to give you something that you can never have without him. And it's a life that goes beyond anything that you can imagine that this world has to offer. And it only comes from following God's word. You saw in here, in verse 4, the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and keep his commands. Can I tell you something? I am very familiar with hundreds of people who love God but don't bother keeping his commands. And then wonder why all this stuff happens in my life. I love God, <laughs> but you don't keep his commands. And it says it over and over and over in word. God's already told you what to do. 
You just have to do it. But we continue to go, i got a better way of doing this. I'm just going to live my life my way. And God, I'll, just, I'll ask you for help, God, when I need it. That's just kind of how we treat him. And then we wonder, why is my prayer ineffective? Well, that's why. We need to align ourselves with God's word. Second thing, we need to approach God with reverence. Approach God with reverence. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say something. Scripture also tells us to pray continual. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean here that every time we pray, we have to stop and hold hands and get in a circle and get on a knee and you know, hold a hand. It's, it's not about a position. It's not about a posture. It's about what's in the heart. It's about acknowledging who you're talking to. Look at, look at what Daniel did. In Daniel 9, 3, he said, So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. In this particular moment, Daniel was led to say, Oh, my goodness, I'm realizing something here about the bigness of God and the things that, that I've done and the people that I'm associated with and what they've done. And I just need to, in reverence, just turn myself to God in this position. And, and we think sometimes that this word reverence is like a real churchy word. It just simply means that I revere something. I just look at that and go, wow, it's incredible. And just, just remember that. Have you ever had that moment in life? I had a cousin who had season tickets. I, I, I played basketball in high school and in growing up, and I loved playing that. And, and in my school and where I was at the time, I was always like the second or third tallest. So I always had to guard the tall people. You know what I mean? And the tall people in my day were like six foot four. I'm six foot two. And I'm like, God, I got to guard this guy that's six foot four. And then my, my cousin calls me one time and says, hey, I got tickets to a Mavericks game, actually season ticket holder. He goes, you ought to come and go to a game. So I come and go to a game, and we get to walk down on the floor before the game. And there is a human being that is seven foot two. I was in reverence. We'll just put it that way. I was like, oh, my goodness. How would I ever guard that? What in the world? What, he is a foot taller than me. You know, and I'm just sitting there going, this is incredible. And then I watched him run and move around. I'm like, how does something that big move that fast? And what are they? I mean, goodness, this is. And I just sat over and over just going, this is unbelievable. God made him. So when I talk about this awesome reverence toward God, it's that type of an attitude. You just remember who you're talking to. The God who made that guy that I sat and went, wow, he made him. He gave him his ability. He does all these things. The God who made everything that we see, the God who gave you breath of life, the God who created this world and gives your life purpose and meaning, that's him. Remember who we're talking to at that time. Approach God with reverence. Again, it doesn't mean always down on our knees and heads bowed and eyes closed and all. It just means remember who you're talking to. And then I would say pray appropriately for the time. At this point in time, Daniel is in a very difficult season seeing some incredible things happen. And so he does take time to get in a position of just humility before the Lord in this moment. We have the awesome opportunity to continually talk with the creator of the universe who loves us and who desires to have a relationship with us. And so we get that opportunity, and sometimes I think we, we either don't know what to do with it or we just kind of take it for granted, or maybe we just kind of say the same thing every time and, and we learn these little rep repetitive prayers and we kind of check it off like it's a box, and then sometimes we lose the reverence of the person who we're talking to.
So if we want our prayers to be effective, we need to approach God with reverence. And then that really leads to this next thing, and then, then be honest. <laughs> be honest. And maybe I'm just the only human here that thinks I can try to convince God of different things than he already knows about me. You know, it's like, hey, God, I mean, you know, they pulled out in front of me, right? I mean, you know, yeah, you saw that, God. He's like, yeah, okay, Lumble. can we just get real? Can we just be honest here about what you're dealing with? And I love Daniel's honesty. I mean, he says there, we have sinned. We've done wrong. We've acted wickedly. We've rebelled. We've turned away from your commands and your ordinance. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke your name to the kings, leaders, ancestors, and all the people of the land. And if I'm reading this book and I say there's any human alive who has the right to be able to point the finger at people, it'd be Daniel. But Daniel doesn't say, all those people did that while I'm here trying to pursue you, God. He says, man, we've done this. And so he just has this honest moment where he says, I realize that every time I get in your presence, God, I realize how big you are and how small I am. And it's not about just God wanting to belittle us or make us feel small. It's about just being real. It's about Romans 5.8 coming to life. Is that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning this, he already knows. Whatever it is that we're having trouble telling God about or thinking that we're trying to, he already knows. And he knows the truth about the situation. He knows what's going on. So when we can just get honest before God. And sometimes honesty means we haven't figured it all out. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to just take things before God and go, I don't get this at all. I don't like this at all. I think this is wrong, God. But we need to remember from the picture that we see all over is that God's always right. And he's always working somewhere. But remember what I said, that foundational thing? Our prayer is not trying to convince God to move over to our side. Our prayer is to line us up to be able to see what God is doing. And we first have to be honest with ourselves about that for those things to begin to happen in our life. We see this with Daniel. He sees what God has done in his life. He sees the visions of things to come. And he he doesn't start pointing the finger in question. He just gets real honest about who he is and who God is. And that is a great place to start in prayer. Now, I'm going to give you one more thing here that I think will help you out with this, but you've got to follow this, is I need to let my request be grounded in God's character. My requests, if you want your request to be effective, my requests have to be grounded in God's character, not my preferences. My requests have to be founded in God's character, not my opinion. Not my experience, not my knowledge. And listen to me, even if I think I have the purest and best of motives in mind, I still have to make sure that if my prayers are going to be effective, they have to be grounded in the character of God. They have to follow who he is. God is never going to answer a prayer that goes against the character of who he is. Never. That's not, that's not going to happen. And that's the reason that he gives us his word over and over and over and over so we can learn about the character of God and know who he is. And then when we start lining ourselves up with him and we start making these requests that we know would go right with his character, then we realize that God's probably going to do something in that moment. God's going to answer those type of prayers. Look at what Daniel says in verse 18. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that bears your name. For we're not... 
presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. It's, it's God's character, not my actions, that we're making this request in. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. See, Daniel didn't say, look at all the things I've done for you, God. You asked me to say that to that king, and I said it. And then now here we are, God, and you're doing all this. Why can't I do something different? God, would you? We, we have those discussions with God all the time, and sometimes we forget the awesomeness of who he is and all the things that he's doing. And just stop for a minute. Close your eyes for just one second. Imagine seven billion people asking you to do something different. All right, now open your eyes. There's seven billion people on the planet. Not all of them are talking to God. I understand that. But just put that in your mind. Who's the one putting all this together? How is he going to answer these prayers? How do we see how my requests are affecting something that may be happening halfway around the world? We don't think about that all the time. But who knows what could be happening? But God sees all of that. He's going to answer our prayers, and he's going to speak to us based on his character. His character is revealed in his word. His character does not change. And he invites us to find life by following his word and allowing his character to begin to infiltrate our lives and change the person who we are to become more like him, not for us to convince him to become more like us. And that's where we begin to find life. James maybe paints it in a picture that's easier for me to understand, maybe you as well. James puts it this way, you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Oh, thanks, James. Making that real clear. I mean, I can hear that conversation happening. Why doesn't God answer my prayers? And James goes, well, because you're asking with wrong motives and you want to do something for yourself and it doesn't match up with the character of God. And so God says, no. Well, I didn't really like that answer, James. Thanks a lot, you know, for that. But we really have to deal with the fact that sometimes we don't even realize because we think, honestly, deep down in our heart that we're doing things in pure motives in the right way. But yet, if we get into God's word and we begin to see the character of who he is, then we begin to see that, oh, answering prayer doesn't mean I get everything I want in my life. Answering prayer doesn't mean that everything's easy all the time in my life. Answering prayer means that I'm lining myself up with God's will and I'm trusting that he's working something that's bigger than I'll ever see. You do realize, right, that that's how Jesus Christ went to the cross. That he willingly followed that path that led him to betrayal. He willingly followed that path that led him to be beaten and flogged. He willingly followed that path that led him be nailed to that cross and die a horrific death. He did that willingly in the will of God so that we could find life. God led him through a horrific season, poured out all judgment for sin on him. He died and was buried and rose again three days later, overcoming sin and death so that we can have life. But it would have never happened if he just said, God, can you answer all my prayers to make things easy on me all the time? His prayer was, God, your will be done. And that's where he found Life, not just for himself, but for all of us. And so our requests need to be grounded in God's character, not just our desires, even if they're the best desires and the purest desires that you could possibly 
come from your heart, we have to understand that if it doesn't align with God's character, it's not going to happen. And here's what we need to just bottom line trust in for ourselves. I'm going to experience life most abundantly when I pursue character more than comfort. You want your prayers to start being effective. Start praying prayers for character and less prayers for comfort. Just start praying prayers like, God, whatever you need for me to do in this situation, show me and I'm going to do it. God, wherever you want to lead me this season, I'll just do that. Because I don't know if that reflects the prayers that you already pray, but most of the time our prayers are, God, would you bless me and this person and bless me some more and do something for that person and heal that person while you're blessing me. If you could do that, for that, that tends to be a theme in our prayers. And listen, it's okay. It's okay to ask God for things. It's okay to, to be in that place. But if you want to begin to see life change and you start praying, God, would you just change my character to be more like you? God, would you help me to see what you're doing even in the midst of all this mess we call life right now? God, would you help me to be a light for you and to find your word as my guide in my life? Because I trust that it's going to bring more things than this life could ever offer. Because the truth about it is, when it comes down to it, oftentimes we are praying for comfort of things that happen in this life and in this world. Things that we would all enjoy. Things that sometimes people wouldn't even think a thing about. They would go, oh, that's a good thing to pray for them. But we need to remember this, that Paul wrote these words to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. You started with nothing, you're ending with nothing. What's going to matter is what you do in between for the Lord. That's what's going to matter. It's what you do with the life that God has given you through the seasons of the ups and the downs, the pain and the suffering, the joys and, and, and the incredible moments of life. They should all be pointing toward God. And if you want your prayers to be effective, then your prayers need to just start trying to line yourself up with who God is and what he's doing instead of it just being a list of things that I ask God for every day. And then like Daniel, you'll see some, you'll see some response to that. God, I get where I am and I get where you are and just act based on who you are and let me be in line with that. So we're gonna end things a little differently. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads for a moment.